Father, we praise you and thank you for your gracious mercy and love in sending your only Son to die for us. And we thank you that he loved us so much he came and he obeyed you to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that he bore our sins in his body on the cross and rose from the dead. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And Father, as we come to your word now, I pray that you prepare our hearts, that we would be ready to receive your word and allow it to do its work, that our thinking would be changed, that we would be changed, so that you would be glorified. We thank you for this morning and this time together, and we commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what would you say to those you love if you knew that your departing this earth was imminent? If you knew that you were going to be with the Lord? What would you say to them? What would you want them to remember? Well, obviously, what you would say would be extremely important, of utmost importance. Indeed, you would realize that it would be the last opportunity to share the things that are important to you, to those in whom you love. As we come to our new study in Second Peter, we come to Peter's second inspired epistle. And it is written, uh, as we will see, that we would be made aware of the reality of what the Lord wants us to be doing. We're going to see that, how the Lord wants us to grow, how the Lord wants us to function. And Peter, as we're going to see, has been made aware from the Lord that his time on earth is almost done. And he is, as we will see, by way of reminder, reminding these believers of what is truly important. And I believe we're going to see, as we begin this look in Second Peter, as we begin that look, we're going to see a greeting with a purpose, and more specifically, a reminder that Christ is everything. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Second Peter? And we're going to be uh, looking just at verse 1 today. I had planned to teach on verses 1 and 2, but that's just not possible unless you want to go through lunch. Um, but uh, we're going to read through the up to verses uh, 4 in a minute. But let me share some context about the, fir- the, ver- the book of Second Peter. What we know is that the writers identified Simon Peter, verse 1, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at him more closely in a couple minutes. And who is he writing to? Uh, Again, we're going to see that in depth today. There are those who have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, the same faith as he and his fellow apostles do. They are those who have come into a saving relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, do we know why he's writing specifically, or actually who he's writing to specifically? Is there, a, is there a set of people that are named? Well, we know in his first letter, First uh, Peter 1, one, he says that he is writing to those in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, those who were aliens and sojourners on this earth, those who had been born again through a living hope, from, to, to, born again under the context of trusting Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They have a living hope. And then we see in this book that he seems to be alluding to that, but it goes much farther than that. In chapter 2, excuse me, 
in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he says, This now, beloved, is the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. He says, this is the second letter I'm writing to. So obviously this letter includes those in whom he has first written to in that area we know as Asia Minor. But as we're going to see, this letter seems to go beyond that, as do all the scriptures. They are inspired by God and profitable for, for uh, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, having been equipped for every good work. He seems to expand it here, as we'll see today, to everyone who has a like faith in Jesus Christ as they do. So with that in mind, we'll see the Apostle Peter sharing the most important things. Now in verse 2, we have the theme of the book. Uh, it actually, verses 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. This has to do with a true relationship with Jesus Christ. Look down in verse uh, 8, after revealing the qualities that we should have as we truly are walking with the Lord. He says in verse 8 of chapter 1, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in what? in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to see this term of our Lord Jesus Christ, of, our, of, of, God and, of God and Savior, of our Lord and Savior throughout. Then look down in verse 18, in contrast to those who would, who would lead believers astray. And actually, go to, go, go to the end of the book, chapter 3, verse 18. In contrast to those who would lead believers astray, Peter says in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This book is about growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter makes it clear within this book that we are to grow and we grow in that relationship with him through the word of God, through the word of God. And yet we see from a concerned shepherd revealing his last final words to, to believers here that there were threats to our growth in Christ. There were those who would pervert and twist and even mock the word of God. And even though we've been taught this before and we understand these truths, Peter considers it right to remind us of these things. Look at chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, verses 11 to 16. He says, uh, actually in verse 12, Therefore I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which was present with you. And he says, And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. It's right for me to remind you of these things. 
And I'm going to be diligent so that you can call them up after my departure. This letter is a reminder of the truth of God concerning our relationship with the living God. This is a godly apostle who's about to be with the Lord, faithfully sharing that we would be able to call these things to mind. Now look at chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. He says this now, beloved, is the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. By way of reminder. That you should remember what? The word spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Peter is writing this so that we would be reminded that we would remember the word of God that which God uses to grow us in the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ, that which he uses to cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Peter was about to go, and he shares the most important thing. Now lastly, within this, I've I've alluded to this, but there are warnings that thread through this book concerning those who would be an impediment to growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. After telling these believers to pay attention to the prophetic word made more sure in chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, he makes a clear contrast in the beginning of chapter 2 that false teachers would come along and secretly introduce destructive heresies and exploit them with false words. And, And he then shares the reality that God doesn't miss a beat. If he didn't spare angels when they sinned, if he didn't spare the ancient world, if he condemned Sodom and Gomorrah, how much more does he, will he rescue true believers the godly from temptation, such as he did with Noah and Lot. And within this portion in chapter 2, these bad guys are described, and we get a viewpoint, a view from God's viewpoint, which shows where their hearts are at and then what they do. They are false teachers, those who are a threat to the true knowledge of Christ because they distort the word of God. Then in chapter 3, after Peter stirs them up by way of reminder that they should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles, he says, in light of that, there will be those who mock it, who come and mock the truth, who mock the truth, following after their own lusts. And then in the end, we see that there are those who distort the scriptures, And that we need to be on guard lest we be carried away by the error of principled men and then thus not grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look back in chapter 3, chapter 3, and verse 15. And obviously we're just touching these portions. We'll get to them as we go through our study. But I want you to see kind of the overall theme here. Chapter 3, verse 15, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation just as our Also, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable do. Do what? They distort. They distort, he says, as they, they distort to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing these bad guys do this stuff, it's a threat to your relationship with Christ. Be on your guard, lest you be carried away by the air of unprincipled men, and you fall from your own steadfastness. This is a concerned shepherd. He doesn't want you to fall in your relationship with Christ. 
And he says here, but in contrast, in the very end of the book, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of being taken captive and falling by the spiritual wayside through the false teaching of those who would twist and pervert the word, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, just in a nutshell, these are Peter's last words, and they are very important is a reminder to true believers that ultimately it is God's desire for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is through the Word of God. And there will be threats to that. There will be threats to that, that we must be on guard, that we are not carried away, but rather that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. So it's very important. It is uh, an important letter. And today we get into the beginning of this letter where we see, I believe, a greeting with a purpose. Look at verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then the greeting, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And I'm going to read a little farther because this whole portion is a unit up to verse 4. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. It is God's desire for grace and peace to be, as we will see, multiplied, magnified in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. That he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through his precious and magnificent promises. Peter points to the truth of God and the God of the truth. So with that in mind, let's take a look specifically at verse 1 as we come into this passage. And I believe we should be motivated, first of all, by Peter's example. What does he say? Verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, we've already looked at the overall context, just briefly gone over that today. But let's talk about uh, a little bit. We will talk about Peter in a second, but let's talk about what he says here. Notice he says he is a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And grammatically, you could, you could, the, the, portion of Jesus Christ applies to both, a bondservant and apostle. He's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so with this in mind, what do we know about Peter? What do we know about Peter from Scripture? Well, his full name is Simon, was Simon Barjona. Simon is a very common Jewish name. Barjona meant son, as we see, of Jonah. And Simon was introduced to Jesus the Messiah by his brother Andrew, and he was renamed by the Lord at that point, John 1.42. Scripture also reveals that Peter was a fisherman, and we know that that was laborious and strenuous work, and you needed to be strong to do that. So obviously Peter was very strong. He was also married. Uh, His mother-in-law is mentioned in Luke chapter 4. And Paul refers to Peter in 1 Corinthians 9.5 as one who has a believing wife. Now it's quite apparent that after having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a few months later, Peter is called by Jesus to follow him. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 4 with me. Keep your fingers in Second Peter. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, and speaking of Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Isn't that wonderful? We see in Luke chapter 8 that after a night of prayer, the Lord Jesus chose the twelve who would be his disciples, whom he also named them as apostles. Luke chapter 6, verse 13. And we're going to look at these terms, bondservant and apostle, in a minute. But speaking of those twelve apostles, Simon Peter was consistently the one who was named first in the list of apostles. He was in the inner circle of the disciples that consisted of him and James and John. Now we see in Scripture that he was an impulsive and somewhat zealous person, putting his foot in his mouth uh, quite often. We see this in the Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, and when also in John 13, when uh, Jesus was washing his feet, we see him doing that. Yet for all of Peter's outward flaws, he believed in Jesus Christ. He believed that he was the Holy One of God, that he was the Lord, that he had the words of eternal life. John 6.63. Indeed, when Jesus asked him, Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16.16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus answered and said, You are Peter, or Petros. That means rock. And then the Lord Jesus said, I believe, referring to himself, Upon this Petra, massive rock, I will build my church. And then just a short time after Peter's wonderful declaration of truth, what happens? The Lord Jesus has to reprove him because he's thinking satanically. He's thinking man's thoughts and not God's. He's setting his mind on man's interests. This sometimes impulsive man followed Jesus up to the point where he denied him three times on the night that he was betrayed. Jesus was betrayed. Luke twenty-two sixty-one, cowering Peter cowering before a slave girl. Yet in marvelous fashion, John records the resurrected Lord's meeting with Peter at the Sea of Galilee. Peter is there. He becomes seemingly impatient waiting for the Lord, and he goes fishing. And after a night of not catching anything, the Lord, unrecognized on the beach, tells him to throw his net on the right side, cast it on the right side. And then as their nets are full and about to burst with a huge haul of fish, Peter recognizes and jumps out and swims to the Lord where the Lord had prepared breakfast for him. And here we see the Lord in marvelous fashion restoring Peter who had denied him three times. And when he restored him, he restored him concerning what he wanted him to do. Do you love me more than these? And then he said, tend or feed my lambs. Do you love me? Shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Tend or feed my sheep. And then a little more than a month after that time on the day of Pentecost, Peter becomes the leader of the infant church. We see the once cowering Peter filled with the Spirit, boldly preaching the gospel. What an incredible difference the Spirit of God makes in a yielded man or woman's life. Peter becomes the first to spread the gospel to the Gentiles with the conversion of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And though Peter was rebuked later by Paul, for his aloofness to the Gentiles in Galatians 2, we see him continuing to become more like Christ. 
and to be obedient to the Lord's calling to him to feed his sheep. And the letters of 1 Peter and 2 Peter are examples of that fact. And now in 2 Peter, Peter not only feeds the sheep, but he also warns to the threats to the word, the threats to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those things that can carry us away. So with that in mind, what is our passage back in 2 Peter chapter 1? I may have been saying 1 Peter, but you know what I mean. 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. In all scriptures inspired by God, you need to ask the question, why does he identify himself this way? Is it just simply a greeting? Why does he do that? We need to understand what he is trying to convey, inspired by the Spirit of God. And again, as I shared, both the terms bondservant, doulos, and apostle, apostello, apostolos, are both connected to of Jesus Christ. We see that he is a servant, first of all. This word translated bondservant is a familiar Greek word, doulos. And if you're familiar, it was a servile term in Greek to describe a slave who had completely surrendered their will uh, to the authority and will of another. One uh, pastor writes, the term servant or doulos in Paul's Greco or Peter's Greco-Roman context referred to the class of people who were at the bottom of the social order. They became slaves, for example, through war, debt, capital convictions, uh, simply being born into slavery. In either case, slave, or in any case, there were slave dealers who acquired and sold them as property. They had no rights, privileges, freedoms in any sphere of society outside the family to which they belonged. Though some of them, including doctors and accountants, were more educated than their owners. And with this background in mind, we see Peter, inspired by the Spirit, calls himself a, a doulos, a slave. A slave. You see, Peter recognized that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been bought with a price. We've been bought with a price. Look back in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. You know, we have quite a different gospel going out these days where come to Jesus, he'll make your life great, just do whatever you want, he'll just be right by your side. That's not the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And if you address the Father who, who as the, the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time stay upon the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed, that the price paid with perishable things like silver and gold from your feudal life inherited from your forefathers, but with, the pre- with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Tremendous price was paid to buy us from our futile way of life, from our sinful way of life, which would only lead to death and eternal punishment. The price paid was the blood of Jesus Christ. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Not only does Peter relay these truths, so does the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. For do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that, notice this, and that you are not your own? 
For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. Glorify God in your body. The reality is we are not our own. We have been bought. We have been purchased by Christ, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Peter was a bondservant of Jesus Christ the Lord. He was a bondservant in a sense that he recognized he was owned by Christ and has been bound over to do his will and obey him. Peter recognized he was a bondservant and had completely surrendered his will. We see that in Scripture. You see, you're going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve sin and yourself, or you're going to serve Christ, a good master. When we think of this term bondservant, we immediately shudder and think, no good. It's very good. It's very good. Look at Romans chapter 6. We see the reality that we're either going to serve sin or we're going to serve the Lord, depending on if we have been purchased or not. You see, you will either serve the the cruel taskmaster of sin or a loving Savior. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? You know what? Whoever you obey, you're a slave. You're a slave. And he says here, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were, dual says, you were slaves to sin. You were were sold into bondage to sin. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you have were committed. And having been freed from sin, obviously in the context of Christ, if you look earlier in the chapter, you became slaves, bond slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves as slaves or bond slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification for when you were slaves of sin you were free in regard to righteousness therefore what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed for the outcome of those things is death but now having been freed from sin and what enslaved to god that's a form of this word enslaved to god you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. And then a verse we know so well, but it's based on this portion. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are now freed from sin. We were slaves to sin. We are now enslaved to God, but he's a good God. He's a righteous God, a gracious God, a God who gave himself for us. You know, all throughout the scriptures, believers are spoken of as servants of the living God. True believers, ones who are really following the Lord, ones who are really walking with him. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We live in a society which just, uh, in a a Christian society, by the way, which just mirrors the world, which just mirrors the world. It mirrors the world in regards uh, to uh, living the way you want to live on your own. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. 
And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to love him. And then what else? And then what else? He says, and to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. To serve the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. We were saved to serve the Lord. He says here, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Look down at verse 20, Deuteronomy 10. You shall fear the Lord your God and you shall serve him and cling to him. And you shall swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these great things and awesome things for you, things for you which your eyes have seen. Then go up to chapter 11, verse 13. And it shall come about, if you listened obedient to my, obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. That's your entire being, by the way. That he will give you rain in your land in the season, in the late rain, the early and late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and oil. And he will give you the grass in your fields and your cattle, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Beware! lest your hearts be deceived and you turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. You know, I knew all about the Lord. I knew his word. I knew about salvation. I knew about Jesus Christ. I would have called myself a Christian, but I wasn't serving the Lord at all. I wasn't following him at all. I was just living a life of sin. But it was very Christianized. But I was living a life of sin. And the Lord brought me to a point where he brought this passage to mind. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. No hypocritical stuff. No, no hypocrites doing the outside stuff. It's from the heart. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now serve the Lord, he says. Then notice what he says here. It says, to the Israelites, and if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Make the choice. If it's disagreeable, don't pretend to serve God. Go serve your own stuff. Choose this day. Choose this day. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which will be on the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Lord used that passage to convict me of a sinful life, and I knew the gospel, and I repented and trusted in Christ. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 12. This is Samuel's farewell address. First Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. Notice he's going to talk about following the Lord and really serving the Lord together. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but what? Serve the Lord with your whole heart. It's a willingness. Lord God, I am yours, whatever you want. 
And he says, and you must not turn aside, for then you will go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. If you've been bought with a price, you're truly saved, you're a bondservant of Christ. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. And throughout the Old Testament, I could share myriads of verses. David, Moses, called the servant of the Lord. We see the Apostle Paul refers to himself as a bond slave of Christ Jesus. In Romans 1 1, 2 Corinthians 4 5, Galatians 1 10, Philippians 1 1, Titus 1 1, James himself identifies himself as a doulos, a servant. And so does Jude. And so does the Apostle John, as we see in the book of Revelation, which we've been studying. Revelation 1 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants, bond servants, the things which must shortly take place. And he sent, communicated it by his angel to his bond servant, John. In chapter 1, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, not 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, the apostle Peter exhorts those who have been bought with a price, those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, to not use their freedom to sin, but to be slaves of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. You see, if you're a true believer, God's word makes it clear. We're servants of the Lord. We've, we've been saved to serve the Lord. Do you see yourself as a servant of the Lord? Do you see that? Being bound over to do his will, his will above everything, Peter understood his purpose was to serve the living God, bringing him glory. And we've been freed to serve a gracious and good God who gave himself for us. If God were to place your name uh, in his word, would he describe you as a bond slave of Jesus Christ? Be honest, honestly acknowledge that. Do you serve him? Would he describe you that way? Peter, inspired by the Spirit, says he is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Choose this day whom you'll serve. So then, right off the bat, we see the heart of Peter. He is sold out to do the will of God. And notice, secondly, he now describes himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Back to our passage in Second Peter. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice he describes himself right away as an apostle. And, and what does that mean? What does the term apostle mean in Scripture? Well, the term here is, comes from the Greek word apostolos, and it's derived from the Greek word apostello, which means apo from, stello, to send. Sent one. That's what it means. And the term apostolos is used in two basic ways in Scripture. First of all, it can be used in a general sense to speak of one who is sent as a messenger. And this is where we can get confused sometimes when we see the word apostle. It means sent one. 
We see this in Acts 14, 14, 2 Corinthians 8, 23. But secondly, the term is most often used to designate the offices of apostle, those specifically chosen by Jesus, specifically sent by him. <coughs> Scripture reveals that Jesus commissioned the twelve in Luke 6, and I believe ultimately planned to replace the son of perdition, Judas, with Paul, one untimely born, commissioning him on the Damascus Rose, Acts chapter 9. So indeed, in the beginning of this passage, he says that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And what do we know about that? We see in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ being the cornerstone. So as I'm studying, I want to ask the question, why is he identifying himself as an apostle? There's sometimes when Paul does, there's sometimes when Paul doesn't. What is the need to say he has this apostolic authority? Well, obviously, I think in this situation, he is exerting, inspired by the Spirit, yes, that he is declaring these things under the authority of Jesus Christ. This letter comes by the authority of Jesus Christ through Peter, his apostle. So Peter understood he was sold over to serve Christ and in serving him, he is feeding the sheep as a bond slave, a sent one of Jesus Christ. Okay, so how does this apply to us, first of all? Do you see yourself as a bond slave? Do you see yourself as a bond slave? Secondly, do you see this letter as authoritative, coming from Christ? Obviously, all scripture is inspired by God, but do you see it authoritative? Okay, with that in mind, let's get into our passage here. And I believe we're going to see in our little greeting portion here as we finish that we have been so wondrously allotted a precious saving faith. And it is the same kind that the apostles have. Chapter uh, 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who's writing. And here who he writes to. To... Those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, bond slave apostle to a group, and he describes them in this manner. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. This verb translated who have received is, is in the Greek an aorist participle, basically means it's a completed action. You could translate it this way. Peter, to, to the ones having received a faith, having had received a faith, they've already received it. It's already been received. It's a done deal. Now, this verb translated having had received is an interesting verb. You know, in Greek, there are a few verbs, two of them, that can be translated receive, and here, this isn't even that verb. It is more specifically a verb that speaks of obtaining by lot or being allotted. This verb actually in a variant of it is used in John chapter 19:24 to speak of the soldiers who cast lots for Jesus's garments. So our passage speaks of something being allotted, allotted. Now the point here is that as we look at this Simon Peter, a bond servant of an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have been allotted, it's already happened, of faith. 
Now, I believe we're going to see that this is saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's already happened. We don't get saved over and over and over again. We receive a faith, and it is that saving faith that we have, that we have. And it has been allotted. Now, we're going to see, this points to, I believe, the sovereignty of God and salvation. God is the one who saves. He is the one who even appoints, in a sense, as we will see, faith. Now, some of you are saying, ugh, uh-oh, we're getting into election and free will. Well, that, you know, that discussion can last to eternity, and it does, right? But let me make it clear. In Scripture, we see that man is responsible to respond to the gospel when convicted by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. That's the response of man. Yet when man, you, you see, when man is dead in their trespasses and sins, is pierced by the living and abiding Word of God, Through the Spirit, there comes the opportunity and choice to believe or not, to obey the gospel. That's how the Lord could say, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is piercing your heart, that dead heart. You're being convicted. You hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts. But yet we see even faith in Jesus Christ is something that is allotted to us. You see, when we respond in faith to the message of the gospel, God is behind that saving faith, as we're going to see. He is the one who enables us by the word of God and the power of the Spirit to believe. You see, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. You see, we were born again, not at some independent time. We were born again by the Spirit of God through the living and abiding word of God, which was preached to us. 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25. After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation, we believed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. We are responsible to respond in faith to the gospel message which reveals our sin and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet even in this response of faith, God is sovereign over this. And as we see in our passage, he allots, that has no effort of our own, it's an allotment, he allots faith. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received or have been allotted a faith. You see, faith is a work of God. It's not a work of man. Yes, we believe, we respond, and we are responsible to do so. And we are culpable if we do not. But faith is a work of God. Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And if you read John chapter 6, as the Lord Jesus keeps sharing the truth about believing in him and then giving illustrations and applications, uh, the other people are just listening like this. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. The questions they ask are just like that. They're not getting it. John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Hey, you got a, you got a lunch for free. That's why you're here. Notice what he says. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. They said, therefore to him, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, 
that you believe in him whom he has set, sent. That's the work of God. How does this work out? I don't know. We're responsible. We trust in Jesus. It is our faith. We believe, but God uses his word by his spirit to convict the heart, and he produces faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Acts chapter 13. Actually, let's go back to verse 45. Here we have uh, the Jews in the crowd are always stirring things up when Paul's preaching, and we see this here. Acts chapter 13, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul hmm, and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, i.e. Jews, since you repudiated it, you rejected it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For thus the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles, this is in the crowd there, heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. In our passage, we see it is God who allots saving faith. But he does it through a means. And we're responsible. And we're responsible So Paul is writing to those who have a saving faith that has already been allotted. Now let me tell you, if there's something you think you did to cause you to believe, you're in trouble. If you attribute to yourself, hey, I figured it out, I did this, I did that, rather than God convicting you with his word by his spirit and then responding in faith. If you think, hey, I went through everything and I figured it out and I thought, hey, you know, I think I'll believe in Jesus. You know what? God is the one who brings forth genuine faith and it is in the context of his convicting gospel. God is the one who has allotted true believers already saving faith. You see, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Saving faith did not come from us. It came from God, but there's a means and we're responsible. He's saying here, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have been allotted a faith and notice what he says, of the same kind, back in Second Peter 1, same kind as ours. Very interesting. He says they've been allotted, they've been received, one that is of the same. This faith, it's talking about the faith of the same kind as ours. Now the question is, who is he speaking of when he says ours? Well, some believe he's speaking of the Jews, maybe that he's speaking of you Gentiles have the same faith as we have, and that's possible. Acts 15 talks about that. But most every commentator, and I would agree as I study this, that he is speaking of the same faith that the apostles had. You've received the same faith we did. We have the same faith. We have the same faith. The term same kind is an interesting word, isotimon. It carries the idea of being equal to iso, and then timon speaks of honor or preciousness. You have the same like precious faith we do you have the same saving faith 
we do. You know, Peter is fond of this word, a cognate of this word uh, that speaks of preciousness. He shares that the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for us was precious. It was valued and honored, 1 Peter 1.19. He speaks of Christ as the choice and precious cornerstone, this value being for us, 1 Peter chapter 2. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he says in verse 7 that the proof of your faith being more precious, more valuable, more honorable than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Genuine faith brings Christ glory and honor. So he's saying back in our passage, you've been allotted the same precious faith as the apostles. True saving faith is the same for every believer. There's not a different faith out there. The faith is the same. It's the same as we're going to see. And the focus is Jesus Christ. And it is eternally valuable. God has brought forth through the conviction of the word this saving faith which is absolutely precious and valuable. Praise the Lord if you have trusted in Christ. Praise the Lord if you have been saved. Now notice as we finish this verse, get close to finishing first verse 1, we have an amazing description of this, of this faith here. Simon Peter, bondservant apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, notice he says now, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Very interesting. It's grammatically connected to the term faith. And he says, by the righteousness. And you'll notice in the notes that I've given you, given you, I have in parentheses, by, and I've written the word in. You see that? The term from the Greek preposition here is the Greek preposition en, E-N. And I always remember en because it sounds like in. And that's really what it means with the dative, within or in. It means something's in there. So what does this phrase mean? What does this phrase mean? Notice, first of all, it doesn't mean our faith, or does it mean our faith comes by the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Does that, is that what it means? Is it by his righteousness that we have received faith? Some would say because he's righteous and he did the right thing, he obeyed the Father, he died for us, that we have faith. And those are true things. Yes, Jesus Christ is the righteous and righteously, uh, perfectly obeyed the Father. But is that what's being said here? Do we have faith allotted to us because or by his righteousness? Think about it. Notice in your Bibles, if you have an NESB, they put in your notes there, or in. And I appreciate that. Because I think that's the best translation. Simon Peter, a bond servant of the Apostle Jesus Christ, to those who received a faith the same kind of ours, in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So although salvation is because of Jesus Christ, the righteous who died for our sins, that is absolutely true. I think it's possible, he's saying, the faith that we have is in something. Obviously we know from Scripture our faith is in Jesus Christ. We know that. Jesus Christ is the one who saves. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's pointing to an element of this. In the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about it. No one can be saved apart from recognizing their unrighteousness and trusting in Christ for his righteousness. 
You can't be saved. You can't be saved if you don't believe you need a Savior. If you don't believe the truth of what God has done. Our faith obviously includes a sense that we believe He is righteous. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God died for our sins, and when we trust in Him, we receive His right standing, His righteousness. So then we stand by faith before God in the righteousness of Christ, not in our own righteousness. You see, if you believed in some way your faith had something to do with your righteousness, you're in big trouble. If you think, I was a good guy and I've done these things and and I trusted Jesus and God saved me. I'm a good guy. If you think in any way in, in your righteousness, you're in trouble. It is completely in the righteousness of God, our Savior Jesus Christ. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 3? Turn to Philippians 3. See, there's a lot here. Can you turn the fire hose down a little bit? So... Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And notice what he says. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. A righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We've received a faith, and that faith is in the context or sphere of the righteousness in the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. We were saved by grace through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you think you're good enough, you help God out, that's not faith of the same type as the apostles. The apostles' faith was in Christ alone completely. So then, Peter is writing to those who have the same precious faith as we do in the righteousness of God our Savior. And I struggle with that, but I think that's what it means. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by or literally in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then did you notice the object of our saving faith? How he was described? In the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a tremendous statement. We're going to see this term, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, throughout this book. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here we have a clear reference to the deity of Jesus Christ. If you know Greek, this is what's called the Granville Sharp Rule. It speaks of those two items in a special Greek formulation, which means that the term God and Savior points to Jesus Christ. And we can see that in English. We can see that. If you just read it through, our God and Savior is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. You remember his name, Jesus, Yahweh, Yeshua, Yeshua. Yahweh saves. And you shall name him Jesus, Matthew one twenty one, for he shall save his people from their sins. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, who would need to suffer and die for us. Jesus Christ is described as our God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is God. He is God. 
And there's a lot of passages that point to it, and you can add this one to your list. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, when you have a faith the same as the apostles, believing in Christ, obviously in the context of the need for righteousness, the need for salvation, God becomes your God. Throughout here, we're going to see our God, our God. He becomes your God. And notice he's also the Savior. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this term Savior means someone who saves. You see, friends, we need to be saved from God's wrath because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. Yet God sent his son to take on human flesh to live the perfect life in obedience, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And he died and went into the grave and he rose from the dead. And whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Saved. You see, if you call upon the Savior, Jesus Christ, you will be saved. It's not just simply raising your hand and repeating a prayer back. Now, if that prayer in your heart of hearts, you're calling upon Jesus to save you, you believe he died for your sins, amen, praise the Lord. There are so many wonderful passages concerning the Savior. Let me just share a couple, and then we'll finish up here. Uh, Mary knew the Savior. She rejoiced in God and her Savior, Luke 147. Then turn to Luke 2. We're coming up even to Christmas time. Turn to Luke 2. Jesus saves by his righteousness, right? The righteous God took our sin in his body, and he died and rose from the dead. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And speaking to the, the shepherds, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. What did the Samaritans say to the woman at the well uh, who had told them about Jesus and then had listened to his word? What did they say? They said, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is, is indeed the Savior of the world. Savior of the world. First John 4.14, and we have beheld and bear witness that the, fa- the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. He has been exalted to the right hand of God as Prince and Savior, Peter would share in Acts 5. Titus chapter 3. Actually, turn to Titus 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. He says, For we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. Hey, that was, that's a non-believer. That's us. That's us. But when the kindness of God and what? Our Savior and His love God our Savior appeared for mankind and his love for excuse me and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us not on the basis of deeds we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our Savior. 
And as we finish up in our passage back in Second Peter, throughout this book, if you study this book, you will see the Savior is emphasized. He's emphasized. We see in uh, verse 11, For this way the entrance to the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied. Chapter 2, verse 20, uh, those who had a phony knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they really didn't, and they showed it. Chapter 3, uh, verse 1, we see, this is now below the second letter I'm writing, he goes on, he says, the commandment later on, in the middle of verse 2, of the Lord and Savior. Very last portion of our, of our text but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why is Peter reminding us of these things? We're going to see later on, when we forget our purification from sins, we become unfruitful and useless in our relationship with Jesus, the knowledge of him. Peter is focusing on the most important things. And the most important thing is Jesus. He is our Savior. He is God. We need to be reminded of what he has done for us. So I want to read the passage and we'll conclude here. Um, Simon Peter, verse 1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith the same kind as ours, by the righteousness or in the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Would you call yourself a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Have you had the same type of faith that Paul had and Peter had? Have you trusted in Christ alone for salvation? Have you recognized that you're unrighteous and in need of salvation? Have you recognized you need a Savior from your sins? You see, the wages of sin is death. And God made it clear that his wrath will come upon those who reject Christ, who are in their sins. You will experience the second death, eternal torment for your sins. God's a righteous, holy God. But we in our pride, we reject that. But God convicts our hearts of his son, Jesus Christ. And whoever will call upon the Savior, Jesus Christ, will be saved. Well, what about us who have been saved, who have a like faith? Don't forget, it is in the context of Christ's righteousness alone that we've been saved. Don't forget, he is our Savior. Don't forget to focus on Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just this simple introduction, Lord God, which reveals the intent of what you wanted us to know as Peter addressed these believers. Lord, I pray that as we begin this study of Second Peter, that you will prepare our hearts, that we will be ready to be reminded that we will allow you to remind us that we would be able to call these things to mind afterwards. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who is God. I thank you that he willingly died for our sins, that he is the savior of the world. Father, I pray for anyone here who is not saved, that they would realize their need of a savior and they would cry out to your son jesus to save them and lord for those of us who are saved i pray that we would recognize what is truly important 
that we would recognize knowing your son and growing in you are the most important things. Pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.